Hi there, this is Dan Delta Collins. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and also youtube.com slash wanderingdms. And now, enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan. And today on Wandering DMs, we have Linda Cadego, the exceptional gaming journalist at io9 and Gizmodo, who broke the story of Wizards of the Coast trying to deauthorize the open game license and stayed on top of that story for weeks until Wizards entirely surrendered two days ago. Uh, Linda, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Before we jump into the conversation, I'll just remind everyone that we do have after-party chat. Uh, at the end of the hour, we will be jumping onto our private Discord to talk to our patrons. If you would like to join in that after-party chat, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash wanderingdms. Yeah, and I'll also remind folks, uh, if we get a lot of chat uh, in our live chat daily, uh, if you're on YouTube, we do use Super Chat, so feel free to use the Super Chat feature, and we would make sure to get uh, your question to Linda um, when that gets highlighted for us. So, um, Linda, um, how's it going? <laughs> it's good. Oh man. What, what a, what a year, what a yeah, year yeah. 2023 has been <laughs> our real journey for all of us. Um, we, we, so, I don't think that so... Dan, and I, <laughs> Dan and I break our show into seasons that start at the beginning of the year. And I didn't think that season five was going to be all about the OGL, but here we are. <laughs> and yet. Yeah, yeah, here we are. Um, yeah, I am exhausted, but I'm thrilled about what's happened. I am, I still have like three or four investigations on the cooking on the stove. Uh, yeah, no, no rest for the wicked or me. <laughs> you know, sometimes I say uh, it's an adventure and that's what you want. So congratulations, Linda, you found, you found quite the adventure in 2023. <laughs> I really did. Uh, I don't know if I, if I really, yeah, I found the adventure. It, it might have found me a little bit, but yeah. isn't that how all these like really foolish heroes journeys start? Yes, it is. That good observation, actually. It is. I'll, I'll point out for, okay. for viewers that, I mean, and Paul and I, and obviously Linda, um, have been following this very, very closely. We don't need to recap every single, um, why this is why the open gaming license is important but i'll just point out this has been uh covered in lots of mass media sources in the last couple of weeks it's been on the washington post and the guardian and the financial times and msn and linda you were on npr's all things considered a couple of days ago and and i'm a little irritated i did not realize that npr was a competitor for us and kind of scooped the story yeah. They skipped it a little bit, but also they they got me to talk to them before D and D like totally bent the knee. So there's there's updates, obviously. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Let me you know let me ask this. Uh, so I mean, you're obviously a gamer yourself. Uh, you want to tell us like yeah. how you like your first role playing game that you fell in love with, and what your current favorites are. <laughs> Yeah, so my first role-playing game that I fell in love with was in, like, online chat forums where you, like, pretend to be a character and then, like, you write a forum post in the, the point of view of that character. Someone else responds as another character and you sort of, like, interact like that. So online, for, for like, the real ones, no. The real ones know about online RPG forums. Um... So <laughs> I, I hope chat is blowing up. But yeah, the real ones about online RPG forums. That was really the first, my first entry into it. And gosh, I think I must have started uh, role playing online when I was like 12, 14, like something like young, baby. Yes, I, I think I was about 12. Because that was when I was in Washington, D.C. Anyway, so yeah, that's like the first time that I started playing like actual role playing games. And then uh, I sort of, there was obviously like DMs in college when I think we played three, 
third edition 3.5 and I wasn't a huge fan and then fifth edition came out and I played a little bit of that but I've been playing other role-playing games for about 10 years like the sort of more traditional like pen and pen and paper role-playing games with dice obviously I mean not obviously no with dice some with dice some without <laughs> dice some with cards some with yeah. Jenga towers some with like just random to like bits of lint that I found in my pocket, like. <laughs> I've I haven't seen the lint game. I assume uh, Jenga Towers is referring to Dread. Uh, that's a, that's a favorite around here. Yeah. Yeah, Jenga use it. Jenga Towers are used in Dread, Starcross, the Russian Alone uh, system, um, and a few others incorporate Jenga Towers. I wrote a I wrote a game with a Jenga Tower in it actually. Awesome. Anyway, that's yeah. What what's it called? <laughs> it's called We Will Stop. It's called We Will Stop the Bulldozers. It's about women in Clear Creek, Kentucky, who uh, have to prevent the the like mining company from trying to destroy their land. And it's That's a game great. of attrition. Yeah, it's great. It's a game of attrition because it's like a Jenga tower, and like you know that the that the mining company will only ever be defeated for now because it'll always come back. Um, but yeah. I will say that the other day, I think I saw you uh, call the whole this month Wizards of the Coast story uh, the the OGL fiasco, and it imme immediately made me want to play a game of fiasco uh, about yeah. a giant chaotic company that doesn't know what the what what hand's doing the other what's, what what the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. Um, so, are yeah. do you play fiasco? Would you be into that? I've I've played Fiasco. I don't think that I care to uh, play as like a member of a giant faceless corporation, uh, but I will play Fiasco. I do love that game. <laughs> All right, dope, dope. <laughs> so, how about you tell us a little bit about how, like, how did you catch this story, and you know, what's it been like, you know, following up the story for the for this month. Yeah, so I I think it's one of those things. It's a combination of right place, right time, and also the fact that like for the past year or so, I've been really dedicated to tabletop role playing game reporting at IO9. Um, but someone just emailed me on January fourth and was like, "I have the OGL one point one. I was like, "You have the what now?" Uh, you want to come again? <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, this the source emailed me and they were like, we have the OGL 1.1. It was supposed to release today, but we think it's important that the public sees it before it like goes live. And I was just like, I think you're right. <laughs> I think you're totally right. <laughs> um, so they gave it, they gave it to me uh, at 11.45, January 4th. We published the article at like 10 o'clock January 5th, 10 a.m. January 5th. So in the course of about like 10 hours, I wrote the I wrote the report, worked with the audience development team to like get the SEO juice in, uh, worked with both my editor and my editor-in-chief, worked with my lawyer at Geo Media, and worked with the art department to get it all together. Wow, um, it so sounds like it, a like a, a feverish effort uh, to get it out that quickly. That's that must yeah. have been intense. It was very intense. It was one of those things where I was just like, I knew how important it was, and I was lucky. I'm lucky that like my, both my editor is a gamer. He does. He's very specifically into like Warhammer 40k and like other like stuff like that. That's like minis, um, mini based games. And he's played Dungeons Dragons before. And my editor in chief is David Uolt. Ewalt, who has written a book on the history of Dungeons and Dragons. So my editor-in-chief, my editor was all for it. My editor-in-chief like really understood how big the story could be. Um, so I was like, I'm going to write this. And my editor, James, was like, actually, you need to write about The Rock first, and then you can write about this. And I'm like, ah! So I had to like do a like, quick news. Like Dwayne Johnson or Alcatraz? Yeah, I don't wanna... or... Yeah, I don't want to talk about Dwayne Johnson on this podcast. Thanks. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. I, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so my editor was like, you have to write this breaking news piece and then you can go to this. And I'm like, okay. So I like write furiously about like whatever Dwayne has tweeted about and uh, that I like was able to focus on the, uh, 
the OG breaking the OGL story. So that's sort of how it started, where it was like a combination of me being sort of like the right person at the right time, um, having a support system that was able to like get it all together, literally within like you know six eight hours of like receiving this thing, and just being really really understanding the the implications of what it said you know i think that a lot of other there's really i mean there's a lot of really great nerd outlets and i think any one of them would have understood like the the importance of it but i think if if this had leaked to some place like the washington post which just cut its entire gaming staff like they might know what they might might not have known what to do with it um so i was really lucky that it went to a gaming journalist and i'm grateful that it went to me uh and, and yeah we are as well i'll just uh, many <laughs> many of us share the same sentiment linda i'll say that yeah thank you i i really do appreciate it uh, i toil in obscurity so every now and then when i get thanked for doing for like doing my job it feels really good um but it is one of those things where it's like i i it's a relatively thankless job until like it's not but for the most part, it's it's very thankless. It's very much like writing breaking news stories, which are very it's service journalism, you know. So, yeah. How long have you been at IO Nine at this point? Less than a year. Okay. <laughs> Good start. My, perform <laughs> my yeah, performance yeah. review is in the in like mid February. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> Why, like, you're gonna review, I'm gonna fucking kill it. I'm just gonna be like, so, so. I mean, I I feel like <laughs> this is quite possibly the single biggest story in you know in D and the single biggest event in D and D history that we just that we just saw. Um, you know, obviously it, it's weird because Wizards tried to rewrite the OGL when Fourth Edition came out, right? And OGS. I feel like it wasn't as they, it feels like they weren't as um belligerent about it like this this yeah. time they really sounded um really dogmatic about what they were going to do in a different way um yeah the gso was also one of those things where they didn't try and touch the ogl they were just like you can't use the ogl with fourth edition like it's under this other license so people were largely able to ignore it they were just like okay fuck you we're gonna go like make pathfinder um, so it's one of those things where they like weren't trying to retroactively destroy the, their legacy, and in this case, they they really were um, in a way that I don't think they quite understood the implications of. Because I think that's like the biggest thing here is like the OGL is like going to be and will remain like the legacy of Dungeons and Dragons for better or for worse. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that like it. it the reaction probably blindsided a lot of people, both inside and outside of Wizard of the Coast. I think that's fair to say. I, yeah, I've anyway, heard my January the, is... I mean, I've heard, uh, you know, secondhand stories that the, you know, the active uh, design team uh, was very aware and could predict in advance pretty much exactly what the reaction would be. And that, mm -hmm. the you know, the, the executives uh slap them down initially and then when the reaction was exactly what the designers had predicted they 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 turned and started uh paying attention to them a little bit more does that match what you've heard yeah i mean that matches the reporting that i've done um i can't comment on like continuing investigations that i'm doing but that does match the reporting that i have done and have published is that like the executives are not really aware of the history of Dungeons and Dragons and like the history of the GSL. And this was like a very like big brain, big corpo thinking. This was like, you know, executive C-suite executive level move. Um, and the people at Dungeons and Dragons who understand the game and like deeply care about the game um, were not necessarily on board, like fully on board with it. Um, some of them were ambivalent and some of them were just like, I don't think this is a good idea. But like, as far as my reporting supports, there was, there were very, very few people at Wizards of the Coast who were like 100% like, let's fucking do it. 
Interesting. And how, how, so we are, what, we're 48 hours, we're less than 48 hours since they completely reversed course. How surprised were you Friday that Wizards completely backed down from deauthorizing OGL 1.0? Uh, shocked, like genuinely shocked. Um, uh, in retrospect, it feels like, of, like there's no, there was no other option for them other than to like go back, but at the in the moment and still right now i'm just like i still cannot believe that like co collective action works <laughs> <laughs> join a union um i i just i'm really really surprised that like they were they 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 put this sr the srd into creative commons i think that was a much bigger shock to me than like just we're gonna leave the ogl alone um, because the OGL actually like restricts some of the rights that you would have had if it was just a fair use use of the IP. So Creative Commons actually gives you a lot more leeway in what you can do and what you can't do. Um, and yep. it really is like the, the 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 whole community left that left like that interaction with three weeks uh, with more than they had going in, and what they had going in was the OGL 1.0. So it's really incredible. Um, so yeah, shocked, startled. I would have never, I would have never predicted this. Um, but I'm really, really grateful that this is what's happening. As as far as the the using the Creative Commons goes, you know, just just a couple of weeks ago, we had Justin Alexander on the show, and we're positing talking about some of the different licenses, the like ORC and, and et cetera, that have come out or that are being worked on. Um, and uh, we talked a little bit about Creative Commons, and I think at that time that uh, Justin was saying that like it's a bad choice. It's not. It's not a great choice for releasing game content under. And I'm, I'm curious, Linda, if you have uh, an opinion on whether Creative Commons was it was a was a good idea or not. Um, I'm not a lawyer, and I'm like I know copyright law in the very very basic sense because like I write fan fiction, I'm involved in fandom. I like I'm very interested in the way that. Uh, an individual can take on the intellectual property of another and use it in a transformative way. And I'm very mm -hmm. invested in that. Um, so I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like, I, I think it's a good, a good choice, especially because Creative Commons is not controlled by a, a giant corporation. Um, yeah. I don't quite, obviously I don't know like what he, he was thinking as far as other options, but to me, at least a, a layman, I think it's a good call. Yeah. I mean, it certainly was, it was available, right? And it feels like maybe they needed to do something quickly. Uh, frankly, they needed to do something quickly for a while now. And uh, I, I don't know what, what was, what was taking them so long, but, uh, uh I can understand yeah, why there's something out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I, was it as a journalist? Was it surprising to you that that release occurred late on a Friday? Because I feel like that's usually like news dump time for things that people want to ignore. And if they if they wanted to get praise for this turnaround, I'm just surprised mm -hmm. why it happened at like Friday at 4 p.m. when when everybody knows to ignore the news. Was that confusing? <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> the thing you need to know about Dungeons and Dragons is that it goes through a PR firm and the PR firm is very, very good and they're like full of nice people, but they will never, they will never like give you interviews, right? They'll never really tell you anything in advance. They'll just be like, we have an announcement coming. And I'm just like, when? <laughs> so yes, very surprising because I got like an email at like literally 2.55. <laughs> saying like give this other person a call for like a timely matter and i'm just like what is happening <laughs> what is happening so of course i i had like really very very little warning before it happened uh yeah but I literally at 255 the pr company emailed me it was like there's a timely matter that needs your attention please call this person i'm just like you can't tell me what it is. You can't even like give me a hint. They don't send out PR ahead of time. They don't issue things under embargo. Like it's really like they are just like we are dropping it. Everyone gets it at the same moment. Have a good fucking time. And I'm just like I'm having a horrible time actually 
<laughs> having <laughs> having a, a, a disgusting fucking time. The vibes in here are rancid. It's all your fault. Anyway. So, yes. Deeply surprising, but I'm really grateful that it came this Friday instead of next Friday when I have a tattoo appointment and a day off. I heard that. I actually heard about that, Linda. I hope that I hope you're looking forward to that. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure that there's someone at Watsy with that date circle that a red pen just like this is when something's going to happen. <laughs> Linda won't be available. <laughs> and I, I will say that I, it's act to me it's actually a bit of a relief uh, to hear that the PR firm was involved at all Friday because I guess in my uh, DMs, uh, what's the worst thing that could possibly happen mindset. I was like, this feels so sketchy that like maybe one staffer on their own released it and we're going to show up on Monday and we're going to be told that they weren't authorized to do that or some crazy thing. But if there was if there was more hierarchy involved, then that actually makes me more relieved on that point. Yeah, it's one of those things where it was planned, but plans changed a couple times before Friday. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Interesting. But, uh, very, very Right, it was very fun. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I've said on our Discord uh, server to uh, to to our friends. I was, I had a, I've had a long running project, and Friday I actually sat down and said, I'm going to remove all the SRD text out of this project, and hopefully I can I can re-release this at some point. I got <laughs> halfway through it uh, Friday afternoon, and I was like, oh, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to check some news. Click. <laughs> Right, and I saw your I saw your story. I'm like, well, what, for God's sake, what the hell, people? <laughs> yeah, that's that's Wizards of the Coast, you know, always keeping us on your on their toes, on our toes. Yeah, yeah. that's what BUGs do. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like from the outside looking in, it's very easy for individuals and fans to look at Wizards of the Coast as this. A uh, single entity with a single purpose and a single mind, and of course, that's clearly not true, right? There's clearly a lot of different opinions, even internally, and a lot of different, uh, you know, probably even power struggles going on around this. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just saying they've got a lot of employees, and I'd be pretty shocked if they were all like, "Yep, this is the right choice. Go do this thing." Yeah, I mean, they're they're a massive company. They haven't been for neckbeards in a basement since the '80s. Um, so it's one of those things where we need to start treating them like a massive company. And I think that this move, um, kind of solidifies a lot of people's, uh, thought processes around Wizards of the Coast, where for a long time, and Dungeons and Dragons, where for a long time, it was just like, just our friendly neighborhood game designer. And I'm just like, you can't do that, bestie. That, that is the path to destruction. <laughs> that way lies madness. Because um, there's, it's one of those things where it's like there's so many nice, good, great, imaginative, creative, like passionate people who work at Dungeons and Dragons, but like we can't ever forget like they're owned by Hasbro. It's a Hasbro property. Like, yeah, it's it's not even like Paizo, which is like you know owner, like creator owned. Basically, it's not like Monty Cook Games, which is creator owned. It's not like even Magpie Games, which is has like a core group of like. 10 or 15, maybe even 20 people at this point, and like freelance, like hires people to like design games. Well, like pays, like pays people to design games for them. Um, they, they design games in house too. But the thing is, like, it's just like the scale of Dungeons and Dragons is something that people need to contend with, capitalistically speaking. <laughs> There was, uh, I mean, maybe you happened to cover this last year. My, my understanding is there was an activist investor last year that was trying to get uh, Wizards spun off from Hasbro. Do, would that have been a little bit of an improvement for, this, for a situation like this? I mean, who's to say? It's, it's hard to say. This has been in the works for a while. Um, the... Alta Fox is the activist investor, which like really, really wanted to replace a bunch of people on the board with like people that they wanted on the board. So there was like a huge power struggle within uh, Hasbro to 
like figure out who was controlling Wizards of the Coast because a lot of people at Alta Fox thought that Wizards of the Coast was being mismanaged. But it's also one of those things where it's like the the guys at Alta Fox, like one of them like has kind of a vendetta against Magic the Gathering. I think. I don't know. The point is that like, yes, but I don't think it would have like really helped. It's one of those things that like it's still a it's still a f- massive fucking investor company. They don't care about the game. They're like in it for money. So it's like it's just like it out of the out of the frying pan into the fire. I don't think that it would have like helped. I don't think so at all. Especially because like their goal was like Wizard of the Coast is like being mismanaged and undermonetized. And, and then like Cynthia Williams sort of like repeated that. And I'm just like Yeah. I don't think it would have helped. Maybe if they I did like, it now. I'm, but... fond, I'm fond of this phrase that the activist investor has the activist investor has a grudge against Magic the Gathering. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> there's like there's like some speci- there's like some specific stuff that like I need to I'm not gonna report on, but like people have told me and I'm just like, I don't I don't care about this activist investor. Like I don't give a shit about what like a, a rich guy does with his like bags of money. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you know, I don't like I'm sorry that like being rich and like investing in a toy company doesn't mean like I'm gonna care about what you think. That's fair. That's that's sharp. Yeah. I yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't care. That I'll leave that to like the financial the financial times and like people who write about like finances. Um I write about culture. It's <laughs> a big difference. I like that. You know, that's yeah, it, it, interesting. Um, sorry, sorry. Just the the point the point of the point of culture. Um, you know, this is the, the the thing that I've been arguing throughout uh, throughout as as these things unfurl is I almost think it doesn't matter what Wizards does at this point. That the, the mm-hmm. cultural damage was done. It was done early, and yeah. things are going to change whether they like it or not. Yeah, it's there's like a particular theory in brand in brand relationships called the trust thermocline and it's where you can only push people's trust in your brand to a certain point because it's like if you keep pushing the trust right there will be people falling off at each point but once you get Mm -hmm. to like a certain point no one trusts you anymore Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so it, it it's like there's like small dips and then there's like a big drop off Yep. And that's yep. the, the trust thermocline is when people like start, everybody starts jumping ship. Um, right. So they breached it. Like, it's so clear that they like, they, they fucked around and they're in the find out portion of that. <laughs> and they're, they're going to suffer really, really bad. Like it's, it's clear that they're going to try and get people back on board with the, with the creative commons and with like Kyle Brink doing like those kind of personal one-on-one like not one-on-one but personal blogs which that might give me an interview um but yeah like, <laughs> sort of like the personal the personal blogs that are like much more conversational in tone than like the D beyond blogs yeah. Yeah. um but yeah i agree with you it's they have over the past like three weeks they have altered their reputation irrevocably and it might recover a little bit but now everybody knows that you can't fucking trust wizards of the coast and you never I, could you never I think, could I think you can i think you see those those trust drops you're talking about like right in the numbers of their own survey right which they which they published right yeah. of like 90 percent of people saying that they disagreed with all these actions that they were taking um, yeah, and, and I was surprised by that too. I was surprised that they actually released that information because I remember when they were talking about re- doing that survey, I thought, oh, this, this is, it's bullshit, right? They're gonna, they're gonna release the survey and just throw away the results and do whatever they want to do. Right. But, uh, there it was. I did too. That's <laughs> what I thought too. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I thought that they would like take, take feedback, but never like, I didn't ever assume that they would do like quite this much. The thing about those sort of customer surveys is you almost never get a consensus that high, right? Like usually when you do these kinds of customer surveys, you get stuff that's in like 20%, 30%, 40%, like that's, that's considered like a high consensus. So the fact that everything was significantly like 60%, 80%, 90%, like those are numbers that are unheard of. 
in reaction surveys. Those are numbers that like nobody ever sees. So I'm sure that they had like some data scientist or some like PR firm behind the scenes just being like, this is so much worse than you could have ever imagined. <laughs> there was someone there was someone in there just like holding down the executives and like tying duct taping them to chairs and being like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> so you guys have ruined everything. <laughs> That's what I, I, think. I agree with that. I agree with that, actually. Let me throw up a, a question uh, a couple minutes back from our viewer, Vera Tanuda, um, sure. who is asking, uh, as I said, heads of uh, Wizards and Hasbro are ex-Microsoft executives. As a freedom software advocate, I have to ask, what did people expect? And so I think partly what they're asking there is, uh, you know, they, in the last year or two, they brought on a number of ex-Microsoft executives, one yeah. of whom I think Chris, whatever his name is, was at Wizards and went to Microsoft and came back or something like that. Um, like that. I know that and, Dan Rossin's Dan Rossin, who's a senior VP of Wizards of the Coast, is ex Microsoft. Cynthia is ex Microsoft. I believe that Chris Kao had like a moment in Microsoft, but a lot of people also come, came from Amazon in the C suite and the executive suite. Um, so they are very big tech minded and. The, the the freedom software stuff and like the the open source stuff that isn't really in the purview of like a C-suite executive. Okay. That's not what they care about. That's not what they're thinking about. That's not how their their brains operate. Because that's not what they're that's not like what they're concerned with. They don't care about like open source material. Uh, they care about money. They care about optimization. They care about scaling. They care about branding. They care about like licensing deals. They the implications of like I, the freedom software. I think like didn't never cross their minds because it's just like it's not. They are not thinking in a way that's like what can I do to preserve open software like a, open like licensing. They're thinking about like how do I get more money? <laughs> like it's just it's it's not a conspiracy. It's just like that simple. Is that they're just not thinking about it. They just, they're just not thinking about it. That makes sense. Uh, you know, and to be clear, you know, Paul and I are software guys, right? So Paul and I met when yeah. we were both in the video game industry, uh, try, trying to make uh, Magic the Gathering online themed games, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. um, Paul is still in video games. I, I went into, into more math stuff. Um, but if you're at Microsoft uh, 10 years ago, didn't, didn't you just spend a bunch of time getting beaten up? trying to resist open source software and didn't haven't you just run a marathon where you got beat up on that issue i would my personal surprise is like why did you go and do the exact why did you run into the exact same buzzsaw twice <laughs> i i literally i just don't think that they were thinking i just don't think that they thought anyone would care i think that they thought they could just slip it past people i think that they didn't realize the kind of community that table the tabletop space could could generate and the, the momentum it could have and the speed at which it could like accumulate. I just, I just don't, I just don't think they expected it. I just think that like this, this is nothing that they expected. I just don't think that they thought about it. I don't think it's like they were being malicious or they were like, oh yeah, this won't be a problem. I just think that they didn't even think it would be a problem. I just think that they thought like, oh yeah, no, like it'll be fine. Everyone's going to be okay. Like it's not a big deal. I think I, I saw a, uh, a magic. I think I, I think I saw a longtime Magic the Gathering artist on Twitter the other day say, um, "You know, it's it, this. This was not like some conspiracy plan. This was not 3D chess. This was just, the company is just being run on by brutal dumbness." Was their take <laughs> on it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's just an aggressive, bullheaded arrogance. That's they're fucking Hasbro, man. You can't think of it like Dungeons and Dragons, like, oh, these are like my friends who are writing for Dungeons and Dragons. Like, no, this is Hasbro. These are the guys who like ran 30 minute toy commercials for He-Man and like are now upset that they don't have that anymore. Like, it's it's Hasbro. This is like, we, yeah, it's, there's no PSYOP here. There's like nothing untoward. There's like no weird conspiracy happening. This is just big coin brain people doing coin brain shit. <laughs> Linda, do you find, have, do you, so I feel my, my 
uh, perspective of, of, of you and your work is that you're a gamer and you're a journalist and you're also a, a little bit of an activist. It, like this month, have you have you had any found any tension balancing your work as a journalist and something of the, the standard bearer as a, as, a, as a gaming activist this month? Yes, that's that's kind of a big thing that a lot of people have criticized me for, which is totally fair that I wrote this report that's like a pretty damning report of Wizards of the Coast intentions. And then I, in a lot of people's opinions, sort of failed to keep the heat on Dungeons and Dragons and failed to keep the heat on Wizards of the Coast um, by, uh, again, failing to like directly contempt, condemn them in some of my some of my writing and some of my journalism. And it's just one of those things. I'm just like, it is my job to like tell the truth, get the truth out there, and maybe occasionally write an op-ed. But for the most part, like my job is to find out what's going on and tell people. And sometimes, and like often, that will come across to a lot of people as activism, which is like fair. Like journalism is is a form of activism. There's a reason that freedom of the press is in like the amendments. Um, but there's also a lot of it where it's just like. I I cannot compromise my ability to tell the truth with a perspective that I understand every single detail of what's going on and I can tell people what to do. So there was like a bit of a tension in that where I'm just like, I will like do my best to tell the truth and I will like do my best to say what like I might want people to do like in in tweets and like on my personal side like on that way but like i am not in a position like my platform at gizmodo io9 does not allow me to tell people like you must boycott the dungeons and dragons movie you must uh cancel your dnd on subscription like it's genuinely like not my place to do that as a as a journalist, if I was like writing an op-ed, then yeah, I would be like, if you want to hit Dungeon Dragons where it hurts, like hit them in their wallets, and like that would be acceptable. Um, I didn't get a chance to write any op-eds like that because I was incredibly busy. <laughs> 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 but I, I did my best to like tell the truth and explain some of the problems that people were facing uh, with what uh, Wizards of the Coast was doing. And I was really, really grateful and excited and happy that people tended to agree with like my personal assessment of the situation, which is like, don't give them any more fucking money. We, I mean, we talked about the survey a couple minutes back, um, you know, and then there was the the rather significant drop in subscriptions um, to D and D Beyond. Was that like the first signal that executives were actually paying attention to? Is the subscription drop? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I, I did report this. So I feel comfortable saying that, like, the only reason that Wizards of the Coast sort of started scrambling in the middle of this whole thing was specifically because the D&D Be Gone campaign to, like, cancel subscriptions had such a massive impact. Um, I was never able to confirm numbers. I was never able to confirm uh how much money it was like I saw a lot of numbers thrown out there and I could never like my sources and my journalism like my reporting like I could never confirm a number but it was significant like it was significant enough to get them to like sit up pay attention and be like ooh oh interesting <laughs> maybe it, it, we should understand this that when i when i got into gaming uh you know a long time ago um you know there would there, there was absolutely no possibility for that kind of quick feedback loop and in fact i think i remember seeing uh ryan dancy i think talking when he first started looking at the books for tsr mm -hmm. in the late 90s he's like we've got financial records we've got this we've got plans no one's ever done a survey no one's ever done a customer survey, and we've gone literally decades without um, clear, immediate feedback. And if you're waiting for like, I don't know, a whole year for book sales, you wouldn't be able to get this like daily number from subscription drops, which is totally right. different world for me, for example. Yeah. 
Paul, they cared a lot about like that. that in, in, in any of the companies that you've worked at, have you ever seen like just an enormous cratering of like digital subscriptions all in a couple days? Um, no, no, I don't, I don't, I, no, <laughs> no, I, just, I can't say that I've seen that. Certainly there've been, you know, and I don't know. I think that the, the the way things work these days is is to iterate on those on that kind of feedback because it is so immediately available as quickly as possible. You have a lot of things like like companies doing A/B testing and such that where they're you know releasing stuff and then you know pivoting super fast based on early you know okay this small subset of our customer base seems to prefer A versus B so shut B down put A on. Um, yeah, I mean it's nice. It's great that they have that. Frankly, it's it's nice that they have that 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 element of feedback and um, uh, nice that they're listening to it, right? Because that is certainly <laughs> that's that's I, I think the clincher, right? Is that it, it's often data, big data is so hard to analyze, right? And you're you're looking at all this big information. You're like, but what does it mean? What should we do about it? I don't think it's always this clear. It's never this clear. It's never this clear. <laughs> it again, seems like, like a really 90, unique situation. Yeah, again, I I, I mentioned this earlier, but like you don't see numbers like above 50% really in like customer service. You really don't. It's so the fact that like all the numbers were north of 60%. Incredible. Incredible. Agreed. Agreed. You know, here's a question. So have, did you get a chance, um, you know, most of the conversation uh, around the open gaming license has been uh, focused around the SRD, the system reference document that allows you to tie into, you know, a D&D like game. Did you did it with, with your reporting? Have you had a chance to talk to people that use the open gaming license for games that are entirely disconnected from D&D and don't use the SRD at all? Because they're because, you know, in addition to, you know, D&D rules, there's a bunch of games uh, like, you know, Mongoose Traveler and the Open D6 system, which descends from West Games, West End Games, mm -hmm. and I think Fudge and Fate. They, they completely unique system, don't have anything to do with D&D mechanics, but they did use the open game license to allow other people to share their work. Did you get an mm -hmm. opportunity to follow up with folks about that and what it would mean for them if, if Wizards deauthorized the OGL? Uh, nope. Okay. <laughs> would, you consider, would you consider that as, as, a, as, a, as a possible story after the fact of, of people that do use the OGL, but not for D&D stuff? I think at this point that that news cycle has probably passed, um, especially because they are, they said they're not going to touch the OGL. And I know that like Fate and Fate Core specifically are like, we are we haven't used the OGL in years, like our updated edition doesn't use the OGL. Um, so a lot of those companies have already been moving away from that license in a, in a lot of instances. So not at this time. Well, you, 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 you mentioned the, <laughs> the, the, the kind of position in the news cycle we're, we're at, like, is this it? Are we at the tail, Linda? I mean, barring like a massive reversal from Wizards on Monday, which who knows at this point, right? But Don't I feel like we're, we're resolving me, this. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, actually. <laughs> I uh, like. I don't know. What to, like, fuck you, Paul. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think that this yeah. is <laughs> this is probably like the beginning of the end. Uh, I did reread that that announcement a couple times and it doesn't say that they can't issue that they will not be issuing a different license for one D D sixth edition. So they could so they could already always come back with like OGL 2.0 or OGL 3.0 or whatever for for one D D, but the fact that they have put the entire 5.1 SRD into the into the Creative Commons like already like they can't touch that. They really can't. Um, yeah, I think that like this is the beginning of the end. It's certainly one of those things where it's just like they might try something shitty with one D and D. Um, and I think that people need to sort of be aware of that, especially if they use virtual virtual tools. Um, 
Yeah, because like the the big the big thing, like the big like twist to this is that they're they are all saying that one D and D will be backwards compatible with five E. So there's really no incentive for people to use the stuff in one D and D or sixth edition, except if like they maybe have like an artificer class or whatever, like. Unless they make a much like a better game than fifth edition, there is no reason for people to go to one D and D. So right. we'll see what happens with that license. We'll see what that happens with virtual tabletop stuff. We'll see what happens with virtual tools and toolkits. Like we'll see what happens with dungeon with D and D Beyond. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I think like the ult the like the big threat, the big threat is over. In my opinion, are, um, are there additional? I'm sorry, Linda. Are, are there additional steps that could make to make people feel even more comfortable? Like, could they, um, could, like, could they, could they release a, a, a 1.0 B that inserts the word irrevocable, or takes out the word authorized, or something like that, and make people be feel more comfortable? I don't know. It's one of those things, like, I'm not a lawyer. I couldn't tell you. Uh, it's one of those things where, like, everyone suddenly got very into copyright law in the past, like, three weeks. Uh, got their got their law degrees very fast, in my opinion. <laughs> um, so it's one of those things, like, I, I don't know if that's going to help anything. I don't know if that's going to, like, help, like, breach, like, like, bring back people from the trust thermocline that we, like, mentioned. Um, it might, but it's also like if they did, if they like tried to loophole this, if they tried to like coin brain this once, they're going to try and coin brain it again. Yep. Like, at what point will people just like accept that it's Hasbro and you can't trust a company that big? You just can't, you can't trust any company, frankly, but you can't, you definitely can't trust a company that big, especially because they don't have any unions. It's it's a good it's a great point. Uh, you know, my take on it the other day was we need something like the tsunami stones that are set up in Japan from 120 years ago. Of like, remember, once in a while, a tsunami comes up to this level, and you're going to forget it. But you really shouldn't build or depend on this floodplain. Um, and we we need like a we need a, we need a we need a granite monument reminding us all about that fact. <laughs> yeah, I think it's. I think it's one of those things that we've seen this happen time and time and time again, especially in tabletop role-playing and in board games, that like nobody has any institutional knowledge. And every five to ten years, people remember stuff that happened five to ten years ago. Um, and it's just one of and it happens in every industry, but I think that in gaming and video games and board games and tabletop games, especially, it's really hard because as we can see from a lot of the sort of legacy cultural institutions, people don't take games seriously, right? Like the, the, the big cultural institutions, the like legacy media doesn't take gaming seriously. So all we, so like the, instead of having like a majority of critics at institutions where they can be insulated from the pressures of access journalism, like I'm really lucky where I work, like, insulates me a little bit from that. I still rely on it. Like, I'll fully admit that, like, I rely on access to D&D to, like, do part of my job. But also, like, I'm at a an institution where if D&D refused me access, I would be able to tell everyone about it. And everyone would be like, that's fucked up, actually. <laughs> like, you, like, you know? Um, so it's one of those things where because gaming can't rely on legacy at traditional journalism they often rely on citizen journalists and mouthpiece journalists and platform journalists and uh people whose livelihoods rely on getting more clicks and getting more views and getting more people watching what they're doing rather than my livelihood doesn't doesn't isn't impacted by how many views my news my news pieces get, which is a bummer this month, frankly, but whatever, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but yeah, so like, you know, that's just the way it is. So 
because I I am not 100% or even at all reliant on like eyes on my articles to get paid to eat to like pay rent to like make sure my dog is fed. I don't necessarily have that kind of back and forth where it's like, oh, in like two years, I can forget about this because like now they've come out with something shiny and new and everyone's going to want to talk about the shiny new thing. So I need to talk about that shiny new thing. So they need to like me. <laughs> well, they should. Uh, no. They should, they should. <laughs> should like me, but uh, I don't want to be liked by anyone making over a million dollars. Sorry. <laughs> If I you like make that. over a million dollars in profit, if if that's like over your take home, like you better fucking watch out. <laughs> Coming for you. <laughs> Excellent. Um, before we before we run out of time, uh, I mean, you've had a you've had a fairly busy couple of weeks. Um, what? In addition to us and NPR, uh, okay. So things places <laughs> that you that Linda's appeared on uh, us wandering DMs. Two NPR, three. You got to interview the Critical Role people the other day, Matt Mercer, etc. How did that go? It was really fun. Actually, had... yeah. Uh, they talk about I the OGL, or do they have to avoid that? We we didn't talk about the OGL very much because the big thing is that the I had like been specifically told <laughs> a couple weeks ago by like their PR people, like we don't want to answer any questions about like the OGL drama. And I'm like, did you send this to every journalist or just me? <laughs> they, never, they never told me whether it was just me. Um, and I'm like, I think this is my fault. Uh, so I sort of avoided that one, but I did ask other questions that they, that the PR person like very clearly was just like, no, 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 no move on i'm like touched a nerve there didn't i is that right <laughs> um but they're really like honestly my my vibe is that they're really nice genuine people they really care about their stories and their fans i think that they are not really as invested in wizards of the coast or Dungeons and Dragons, as a lot of people might assume, I think that they're much more focused on like what they are doing with their storytelling and like what they're doing for their fans more so than they than they really care about the game system that they're using. That's my impression. Yeah, I think that they're nice folks. Uh, I really like them. They're really funny, and they think I'm funny, which is always a bonus. That's a good sign. Everyone, That's a good hilarious. sign. You have good. They, they fundamentally have good judgment, Linda. Oh, good. Good to know. <laughs> yeah. So I like them. It was really fun to talk and um, sort of get their perspective on it. I, I think the only thing, the, like, the biggest reveal that, like, wasn't in, that isn't going to be in any of the uh, interviews was that one year for, like, Anime Con, Matt Mercer dressed up as Mugatu from Zoolander. And right. it's a perfect costume he like pulled up his like old myspace photo to show us and i'm like <laughs> and, like a little stuffed like uh stuffed dog and well he had the wig and, and like the corset and i'm just like you can't show me this <laughs> <laughs> like i'm gonna have to report on this and he's like no the the, the cameras are off and i'm like okay. <laughs> you had you had to say off the record I, yeah, he, he never said off the record. We never said off the record at all. It was all on the record. Anyway, the point is, that was a great, great cosplay. And I, I respected him a lot after that, after seeing that. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, I'm going to give a warning here. We're at uh, just five minutes left. So, um, Linda, is there, is there any final thoughts on, on the OGL news here? Anything big that we somehow missed or, or information you want to make sure you get out that uh, that we uh, have failed to ask about? Hmm. I don't think so. I think like the, the, the biggest thing that I want to say with all this is that like having one corporation have this much power over an industry is like just bad. Like it's just bad. Um, and I want I want more people to invest in more games and different games and small independent games. Um, and I want people to take a risk and like learn and teach other people. That's that's like the biggest thing that I want to get. I want everyone to get out of this is to, like 
play play different games play like wildly different games don't try to force D D, which is like essentially a combat simulator into a million other kinds of games like if you want a regency game do that if you want like a sci-fi game do that if you want like a really really old school dungeon delver there's like literally dozens of games that do it better than D. That's all I want. I want people to play as many games as possible, and I want people to not play Judge of the Dragons. Sorry. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. That's good. It's just, yeah, you're, you're... it's just one game. There's so many other games. Do more games. People should do more games. And yeah, yeah, play Dungeons and Dragons if it really makes your heart happy, but also like open your heart to other games. That's a great message. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. Uh, as a final thought, I'm gonna uh, you know for for me this is and, and I have been uh, playing uh, D and D for uh, Dungeons and Dragons and other games uh, for you know over forty something years at this point. Um, nice. And this is the single biggest, craziest, nuttiest story in role playing that I have in role playing news that I have ever seen in my life. Um, mm -hmm. And what a crazy roller coaster this has been. Uh, our good friend uh, Stephen in the chat a while back said we should celebrate January twenty seventh every year. And uh, Keon Cobra came up with the uh, the open hashtag January twenty sixth should be hashtag Open D and D Day. And I agree with that. We should, we should, we should definitely keep this in mind. We should observe this every year, and Linda's name should be attached to it in perpetuity, uh, because <laughs> no. to a large degree, Linda saved Open D and D. I don't want to be attached with Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Linda saved Open Gaming. Okay. Okay. Yes, I'll go. accept there. that. That's that's much more acceptable to me. It's one of those things where it's just like any, I don't want to be associated with like any corporation on that intimate of a level. You know what I'm saying? That's a great, I mean, that's, that, what a great observation on that. Yeah. I don't want to be attached to any corporation that. on like that kind of level, but like I will happily like celebrate uh, the 27th as like open gaming day. And, open like, gaming day it is. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Everyone plays like their favorite games, whether it's Dungeons and Dragons or any of the other thousands of games out there. See, we can workshop this. We can work together. <laughs> We're brainstorming. Absolutely. Honestly, like play. Honestly, like you know, play what makes you happy. Like I'm not gonna. I'm not the D and D police. Um, I'd be really bad at that. Uh, play what makes you happy. That's it. That's all I got. Excellent. Um, also, like, also, if you guys wanted to like field questions from the audience, I don't have anywhere to be for another hour, and then I just have to be right here for another interview. So I'm happy to stay later if if you want. But obviously, like, I'm not. No pressure. Uh, so we have our uh, standard after chat uh, after the show every Sunday and occasionally, you know, exceptionally generous. I mean, we respect your time so much, Linda, exceptionally generous guests pop in. Uh, we can try to get you in our Discord after chat if you're good with that. Yep, ha happy to do it. Like I said, I'm literally just going to be at my desk for another hour until I do another interview at three. That's so. Nice. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. Amazing. Great. Great. Yeah. Uh, thanks, everyone, for watching. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to Little Old Me. Um, if you, viewers, uh, excellent viewers, please, if you want to join in that after chat, come uh, join our Patreon at wanderingdms.com slash, uh, sorry, at patreon.com slash wanderingdms. Get that backwards there. Uh, if you have any uh, other thoughts about uh, OGL or uh, the news from Wizards or specifically uh, other other games, uh, other other options uh leave us some comments here in the youtube video we'd love to definitely and of course remember that you can like follow and subscribe to us the wandering dms we are on youtube and twitch and twitter and facebook and github because we're coders and TikTok, and we have the handle wandering dms on all those sites if you prefer to listen to the show in audio only podcast format you can do so uh, those shows are available on our website at wanderingdms.com 
also through various podcast carriers, such as iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podcast. If you are listening to this show right now on one of those other sites, please take a moment, if possible, to rate and review us on that site. That helps other users of that site find us, and we really appreciate it. We really do. And we'll thank our, patron, our uh, g- enormously generous patrons one more time uh, for supporting the show. And again, if you'd like to join them and jump into our Discord server and the live after party chat, and we'll have Linda there uh, uh, today in about 10 minutes, please visit patreon.com slash wandering dams, just like Paul said, and you'll see our tiers. One dollar gets you in our Discord server uh, for the after chat. So we'll be there. And Linda, uh, thank you so much for your exceptional uh, work uh, this month and your in- invaluable time this week. This is this has just really been a blast. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. Um, once again, I'm Linda Kadega. I write for io9. I'm the staff writer and I call myself an entertainment journalist. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter where I'm weird all the time at, at Lynn Kodega. People should definitely do that. I've enjoyed your your Twitter feed quite a bit in the last couple of weeks myself. Uh, don't forget, viewers, we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So please join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then. Bye, everyone.